there, welcome back. I'm Dan the Story Man, and this is the second episode of the Dan the Story Man podcast. I am so glad that you're here. This podcast is all about exploring the wonder of story and storytelling, and I have a new story to share with you today. It's a story that I wrote, and I hope that you enjoy it. Listen as I read it to you, and then let's spend a few minutes talking about it, all right? I'm ready if you are. Here is today's story. On Earth as it is in Heaven by Dan the Story Man Old Rupert was a pious soul, a church-going man with a prayer on his lips. He loved, in fact, the Lord's Prayer, which he was known to utter several times a day, even as he worked or walked about town. His wife Beatrice was every bit his match, but despite being such honest Christians, each, for a time, had an unspoken secret. Let me explain. Rupert was in his late fifties, when, as a baker in a modest part of the city, he had started insisting on going into work, particularly early on Monday mornings. Now, ostensibly, this was to clean those old ovens. And at first, he did clean them. But he did more than that. Rupert wanted his family, who kept the bakery with him, to think that he needed to get that early start because he was getting old, and it took him a long time to get those ovens clean. But Rupert was strong and healthy, especially considering that in those days a man was indeed becoming rather old as he approached his 60th birthday. No, Rupert was not feeble, and he didn't need so much time to get those ovens clean. He, in fact, cleaned them rather quickly. His real business was his secret project. Flour, eggs, sugar, salt, milk. Rupert mixed these ingredients together quickly when he arrived on these early Monday mornings and gave them time to rise as he cleaned the ovens. All the while, he recited, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Rupert was not a rich man, but he generally was able to provide life's necessities for his family, and he was always thankful to God for the modest success that they had been given. Once the ovens were cleaned on these early Monday mornings, the raised dough was then separated and formed and put into the ovens, and very soon after seven loaves of bread came out, golden brown. After patting them with butter, Rupert immediately wrapped six of them in cloth and hid them in an upper cupboard. He then took the seventh outside to the alley, to the rubbish area behind the bakery. Here, near a large rubbish bin, was a worn-out wooden crate. On one side of its upper surface sat a large circular metal covering, somewhat thick and sturdy. The old baker would lift this metal cover to expose a chipped old porcelain plate. Glancing around to ensure that the coast was clear, Rupert would put the loaf on the plate and quickly replace the metal covering, turning back with a rapid stride to enter the warm interior of the bakery. Each subsequent day through the week, Rupert would remove one of the remaining loaves from its hiding place and put it on the plate, which, as you've likely guessed, 
was picked clean daily. Even on Sundays when the bakery was not open, Rupert made the substantial walk to the bakery, just to make sure everything is okay, and placed the final loaf on the plate before returning home. The entire ritual would then repeat itself anew, beginning early on Monday morning with a fresh set of new loaves. The truth and origin of this mysterious matter, of course, deserves our attention. Listen, and I will tell you how it started. On a particular day, some time before, Rupert had been cleaning up in the evening. Per usual, he recited his favorite prayer. And lead us not into temptation, he uttered, before he stopped cold in his words. While hefting a load of rubbish to the alleyway, he was shocked to notice a small woman huddled near one of the supply crates outside, dressed in dirty rags and with tatty hair. She gasped in surprise to see the baker, and surely expected to be dismissed with violence or disgust, as happens to all homeless souls who are caught in the act of, well, living. And to be truthful, old Rupert did indeed feel a moment of loathing as his initial surprise gave way, and he nearly did dismiss her in such an outburst, but for the fact that something crucial happened before he could. A baby began to cry. Rupert's head suddenly jerked back in a motion of stunned comprehension. She was a new mother. The woman remained frozen in place as the baker eyed her and the small bundle she clutched, with a curious sideways look that slowly melted into a face of deep sympathy. He started to move toward her, but she made as if she would run. Rupert stopped and held up one silent hand to tell her to stay still, and instead of coming toward her, he darted back into the bakery. When he returned, he had several crumbs and scraps of bread loaves on a chipped old plate. Without saying a word, he placed it on one of the nearby crates, gave a final nod toward the destitute woman, and nervously disappeared back inside the bakery. Picking back up with the words, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Rupert gave the incident no further thought until he arrived at the bakery again early the next morning. Without arousing the suspicion of his wife Beatrice and the others, he quietly stole out to the alleyway, and there found the woman and her baby sleeping under a tattered blanket, with the plate empty beside them. Silently, the old baker removed the plate, and with a moment's hesitation, took it back inside, discreetly refilled it with scraps, and returned it to its place beside the ragged little figures in the alley. Later in the day, the plate was again empty, and the figures were gone. From that time the ritual began to take its regular form. Rupert replaced the scraps, however, with full, unblemished bread loaves, baked on Monday mornings, as we've described, and provided one by one on the chipped plate each day. The alleyway visitors never again slept in that place, but they did visit the alley each day to obtain the bread. As the precise hour of their coming varied from day to day, Rupert procured a heavy metal cover to place over the loaf 
to keep the bread safe from rodents or other curious passers-by. It seemed to do the trick, and the woman quickly figured out its purpose and function. The whole thing became quite routine with time, but Rupert never lost his dutiful interest in it. Periodically he would watch from the bakery door to see the woman and baby come and partake of the bread, and he noted that it was always received with joy and relief, which was a welcome observation for him too. For while one's charity ought not depend on the magnitude of appreciation from the receiver, it is nonetheless a satisfying thing to observe that one's offerings are not taken for granted or received with an air of entitlement. The gratitude Rupert saw in this pair comforted him immensely, and it gave him motivation to keep it all going. And so, old Rupert the baker continued this secret routine for some years. Now, we mentioned Beatrice, the baker's wife. You mustn't think we've forgotten about her. She had a secret, too, as we said. You see, she was a wise woman, with a sensible head and an attentive heart, and what's more, she knew her husband. It was only a couple of months after the beginning of Rupert's little ritual that she caught on to what was happening each day in the alley, despite his best efforts to keep her in the dark. Women, you know, can sense these kinds of things, and the man was really rather silly to think that she wouldn't find out. She said nothing to him, however, and after some initial puzzlement, she began to understand what he was doing. She began to understand, as all good people do, how the heart of a truly compassionate soul yearns to give service, even if only in small and unsung ways, and she was not one whit behind Rupert in her own sense of compassion. In fact, I don't mind telling you about her secret either. Wanting to contribute in her own way, Beatrice began to stay at the bakery later on Saturday evenings to clean the ovens so that Rupert didn't have to. He could simply set to work on the loaves straight away on those early Monday mornings. The first time this was noticed by Rupert, one cold Monday morning, caused him a small amount of shock as he looked at the clean ovens, but in the same moment he knew that it was Beatrice who had done it, and that his secret was known. Rupert smiled upon that realization, and simply set to work on the loaves without ever saying a word to his faithful wife about the matter, nor she to him. Neither did either of them tell their service to any of the other family members who helped them run the bakery. If it were known, the others might surely scold them for giving away a commodity they might rather sell for the money. And anyway, it was not Rupert and Beatrice's way to talk of such charity. In fact, every now and again, Beatrice also placed a slice of cheese or a fresh apple alongside one of the bread loaves in the hidden cupboard, and Rupert, beaming with pride and joy at her thoughtfulness, would carry this out to the alleyway bread plate as well. So we've established now how it was with our baker and his wonderful wife. They were quiet, benevolent souls who believed very much in the goodness of people. They loved God, and they meant every word when they prayed, Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. As the years passed, the baker couple noticed that the vagabond woman's baby grew into a scraggly but intelligent boy. The vagrant pair continued to appear, day after day, to gratefully retrieve the bread. 
In the meantime, the baker and his wife entered into an agreement with a neighbor, another act of kindness. It seemed that this neighbor, a woman named Alice, needed a little bit of money in order to pay some debts. She had started her own little business in another corner of town, selling dresses. And while her business struggled, she was certain she could make this enterprise sustainable if she just had a little bit of help. After sitting down together and thinking it through, Rupert and Beatrice decided to help. Alice was a good friend and a responsible woman. And their own business, after all, was well-established and well-assured, and their credit was fine. With the help of a banker friend, they took out a little money against the bakery and loaned it to Alice. They felt pleased and grateful to be in a position to help. More time passed, and one day something rather startling happened. In watching through the crack in the door and looking out to the alleyway, Rupert noticed that the beggar boy had come to the bread plate alone. There was no sign of his mother. By now the boy was into his teenage years, but despite his growing maturity, the baker could see that on this lonesome day the boy's face was stained with tears as he ate. Beatrice noticed the same thing the following day. Again, neither the baker nor his wife said a word to each other, but for a month thereafter, Beatrice always added that slice of cheese or that apple to the offering Rupert set on the plate. The boy's mother never did reappear. For a couple of years after that, the boy continued to come for the bread, and the baker couple noted that he still seemed very grateful for the offering, and indeed dependent on its nourishment. Over those years he grew older and stronger, until at last another strange event transpired. One morning, as Rupert went outside to place a new loaf of bread on the plate, he discovered that the metal covering had been completely replaced with a new one. The new covering was smooth and expertly made, a perfect and impressive circle. Rupert lifted it with wonder, to discover on the plate underneath it several beautifully made metal hooks and handles. Puzzled, he left the loaf of bread on the plate and took the metal items inside. The loaf of bread was still there the next day and the next. The boy never returned to the alley. You may find it strange to hear, but this was a matter of great sadness for Rupert and Beatrice. An act of devotion and service, no matter how small, has the power to instill in men and women a great sense of purpose, especially over time. When that service is gone, when the devotion finds an end, and when the charity has had to stop, there is a strange and hollow pain that often takes its place. Mind you, it only happens when it is true service or true devotion, or true charity. The counterfeits do not usually produce such a pain. But why should there be pain at all, you're wondering? One would think that a giver of service would be glad to be saving their efforts. Well, the answer as to why there is pain is actually quite simple. The pain exists because words like devotion, service, and charity are all really substitute words for the same thing. They all mean love. And when service is done right, service lost is love lost. 
Now, they couldn't have told you so at the time, but Rupert and Beatrice were sad because they had loved the boy and his mother. They scarcely had time to grieve the loss of their service, however, because greater calamities were soon and quickly upon them. One panicked day, their friend Alice arrived at the bakery in terrible distress. A fire had claimed her dress shop, and she had had to sell her home to settle outstanding debts. She had nothing with which to pay back Rupert and Beatrice, and no means of making dresses to earn money. Furthermore, she was leaving, going to a town some fifty miles away to live with an uncle, since she no longer had a home of her own. In the hours that followed this revelation, there was a great deal of sadness, and even anger, for Rupert and Beatrice. They too had payments to make, and without their regular income from Alice's money, they might not be able to get by. Only those who have known the anguished pinch of difficult finances can really know how their stomachs fluttered with despair and anxiety at this news that Alice bore. Initially, Rupert and Beatrice thought they might take Alice on as a worker at the bakery, and through her work, perhaps make up for the loss of money, while simultaneously helping Alice regain a better situation. But it was no use. Business had been slowing down as it was, and there simply wasn't enough to make it all work. Despite their frustration, Rupert and Beatrice took deep breaths, offered prayers, bid their friend Alice farewell, and sent her on her way with their assurance that the debt between them was forgiven. The baker and his wife would somehow find another way to make all of the ends meet. It is now that we may be tempted to observe that our two friends have been foolish. They might have saved quite a lot of their money if they had never let themselves be drawn into their secret ritual of helping the destitute woman and her child. They likewise would not have been in this circumstance if they hadn't loaned their own hard-earned money to their friend. Rupert and Beatrice were, by this time, quite old, rather older than most of the old people around. And what chance did they have now of discovering new ways of earning money at such an age? Over the next two and a half years, difficult and painful ones, there were many times when Rupert and Beatrice wondered these things themselves. Had they been foolish? Had their intent to be helpful been in vain? Sometimes, in those really dark and discouraging times, they believed it. They despaired and they worried that their kindness had been folly, a major mistake. They and their family scrimped along together for many months, and all the while new bakeries in town with new ovens ate into their profits. Times were changing, and things were hard, and it was hard to keep up. For several months they could not provide the full amount of the loan payment that was required on their bakery. The bankers, though they tried to extend what kindness they could, ultimately were forced to press the issue. The day was set, and Rupert and his wife were to pay the balance that was owed to the bank, or else lose their business altogether. For many nights they prayed, clasping one another's hands with tears running down their cheeks, pleading for some kind of relief. Yet their hearts were very low, 
and if they were honest with themselves, they did not believe that any sort of relief would come or even could come. One of their grown sons began to petition friends and business associates around town for help. Small amounts of money did come, and the family was grateful, but it was not nearly enough. At last, the tragic day came, and the men from the bank arrived at the bakery. Trembling, old Rupert wrung his hands as a river of tears passed down his wrinkled face. Beatrice, pacing the floor, was in much the same condition. How many years had they cleaned these ovens, baked this bread, sold to these customers? How long had they looked at these old bricks, at those old doors, and that crack in the floor? And now it was all to disappear. Had their God left them? Had he forgotten them in their moment of need? Had he not heard the prayers they had uttered, seen the good they had done? With shaking lips that could barely speak the words, Rupert closed his blurry eyes and quietly muttered, Thy will be done. The baker was not the first to utter those words, nor ever the last. Men and women of the ages have spoken them, as you and I well know. I will not pretend to understand or explain the transactions of the divine, for they so often defy explanation. Rather, just as I have told you about a baker and his wife, about their charity to a homeless woman and child, and their kindness to a neighbor, I will simply relate to you the remarkable nature of what happened next. The rest you may judge for yourself. As the men of the bank, in their fine clothes, were commencing the process of closing and assuming possession of the bakery, they were suddenly brought to a stop by the appearance of a middle-aged woman and a young man. These two spoke quietly for a time to the head of the bankers, and after some discussion they produced several heavy bags that were quickly taken by the men of the bank, who just as quickly hurried away. The head banker then approached Rupert and Beatrice, clapped his hands together, and unceremoniously announced that his business here was done, the debt was resolved, and the bakery was free to resume operation under full ownership of Rupert and Beatrice. Answering to the puzzled looks of Rupert and his family, the head of the bankers explained that the man and woman who had recently appeared had supplied the necessary funds to close the account and settle the matter. It seems, he said, that the woman is from some place near here. She said her uncle had recently passed away and left her a sum of money. And the young man is quite a successful blacksmith, as I gather, and had some funds of his own to provide. Between them, they've closed the account. And that is all there is to it. Good day to you all. And with that, he shuffled away. Rupert and his family now turned their attention to the front of the bakery, where the mysterious man and woman still quietly stood. I scarcely need tell you who they were. The woman was Alice, with tears brimming in her eyes and a smile on her pleasant face. The young man, though he was larger than the last time Rupert and Beatrice had seen him, was very plainly recognizable as the vagabond boy from the alley. He, too, wore a soft expression on his rugged face, as he smiled at the baker and his family, 
and after a quiet moment he was the first to step forward. Holding his arms outstretched, he asked simply, My friends, shall we pray? This, for old Rupert and old Beatrice, was almost too much. Again their tears flowed freely as Alice stepped forward to join the young man. All of them were meant to be praying together, but the baker's family was simply too emotional, Rupert and Beatrice especially, and they rather mouthed the words as their two friends spoke them together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, said the young man, and forgive our debts, as we forgive our debtors, said Alice. And lead us not into temptation, they continued together, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There was silence now for a moment in that hallowed old bakery, the foundry of so much bread of life, Finally, Alice and the young man quietly approached Rupert and Beatrice and took them by their hands. You are good, my friends, said the young man, and I pray you never forget that your good deed is known and appreciated on earth as it is in heaven. That's our story for today. Now, whenever there's time on the podcast, I like to do a little bit of a debrief after we read a story together so that we can think about what the story might mean to us. I'd like to chat with you about this story a little bit. Like our last episode, this is actually a story that I wrote. The idea for the story came to me one day while I was actually baking bread to give to someone. Over and over in my head came those famous words from the Bible, Give us this day our daily bread. And I thought about bread and about acts of charity. It was a perfect recipe for this story to be born, except there was one thing missing. You see, when we write a story, we have to consider what will resonate with our readers. We talked a little bit in our last episode about how stories pull us in with an emotional connection. The best stories that you've read and the best shows that you've seen are the ones that make you feel connected to them. One of the ways that we do that is through a story's theme or what we might call its subject, very closely related to what we might call the moral of the story. When you think about your favorite stories, what are their themes? Do you like the theme of the underdog meeting with triumph, like Frodo Baggins in The Lord of the Rings? Or maybe you're more drawn in by the theme of a tough guy going around and giving everybody what they deserve, like the Taken movies with Liam Neeson. Or maybe you can really relate to stories about people overcoming their unspoken pride and prejudice, kind of like the book, um, what was it called? Oh, yeah, Pride and Prejudice. 
the missing ingredient to get my story started when I was writing this story that we've shared today was a theme. And I decided to choose a theme that I thought lots of people might be able to relate to. Most all of us at some point are involved in providing charity to someone else. Now that could be to an elderly parent who needs some care. It could be to a friend who just needs a little emotional support. It might be to a stranger who is lacking the necessities of life. Maybe you are baking bread for a neighbor or for a friend. One of the challenging components of charity is an aspect that we don't often talk about. While charity can be exceptionally rewarding, really the most rewarding of all things, is it ever possible for our charity to feel like it went too far? Can our charity come back to bite us? In the story, you notice that Rupert and Beatrice end up in their hard situation precisely because they have been generous to the destitute woman and her child and to their neighbor friend. If they hadn't been kind, they might not have been hurt. Most of us have experienced something similar. To you parents out there, for example, have you ever made sacrifices for your children and then maybe felt a little bit resentful when they didn't appreciate it? Or maybe even gone through a hardship precisely because you provided some kindness to them? I bet you know that feeling. And others will likewise know the feeling of having been kind to someone only to find that their kindness really appears to set them back rather than propelling them forward. I thought those feelings would be good ones to explore and to help draw the reader into the story. How do we respond when it seems like our good deeds don't go unpunished? It's a question I invite the reader to consider, especially when thinking about the response of Rupert and Beatrice to poor Alice, for example, who really seems to leave them high and dry. Another theme in the story, however, is how our secret and public acts of kindness actually don't go as unnoticed or unappreciated as we sometimes think. Now, Naturally, not everyone gets the happy ending that our baker friends do at the end of this story, but maybe it's worth considering that we really have a bigger and more appreciated impact than we sometimes suppose on the people around us. If you feel like you're forgotten, there might be something in this story for you. Now, there are other themes to be found in the story as well. Whenever you read a story, or hear one, or watch a movie of any kind, and you find yourself liking it, I invite you to consider thinking about the themes that you find in the story. What speaks to you? Why is the story compelling? What morals is it asking you to remember? Or what moral lesson does it present? Or what about this one? If you were going to write a story, what kinds of themes would you write a story about? Give that some thought. That's all for this episode. Thanks very much for joining me today. Next time, we're going to take a look at a very special kind of story, a history, as we explore the secrets of mysterious Easter Island. And then stay tuned, because we'll be reading some Sherlock Holmes in some future episodes, too. 
Hey, just a couple of other quick things before we finish up. If you enjoy the podcast, please come back for more. I would very much love to have you. And hey, do me a huge favor if you would, and rate, review, or subscribe to the show wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. Now, you might also recognize me from appearances on another podcast called The Somewhat Original Podcast that is hosted by my friends Tanner, Drake, and Daniel. If you are into fun conversation about movies and about all things having to do with pop culture, head on over to The Somewhat Original Podcast and check it out. That's all for today's show. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Dan the Story Man. Stay awesome. Until next time.